Addie's Mental Health Podcast, aiming to spread awareness on mental health by sharing the real-life stories of those who've experienced it firsthand. Cord. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Tanya, 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 Nicole is here today. How are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, doing okay? Yeah, I got a bit of the fall blues with yeah. the sunlight decreasing, but yeah, mm. not, not too bad. Pushing through. Pushing through? Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. I I was honestly thinking about that today um, a little bit. Not to get all, you know, down about the weather, but I was like, it was sunny out today, but I was it was cold and I was like, oh man, yeah. I, I miss the summertime. Yeah. I miss it. Yeah. Well, I think too, like a lot of research shows, um, it just it throws your thyroid and everything off in your body as like the hours change with the sunlight. Yeah. So even though our sunlight's decreasing... If you even look to the spring, even when sunlight's increasing, it still throws people's bodies off too. So just the change in seasons can be very hard for people. I'm mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like maybe you are too. A little bit, yeah, a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah, the uh, the lack of vitamin D sucks in the dead of winter. That definitely affects people, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I try to get out every day. Anyway for like a while walk the dogs get some sun at least yeah or whatever's left of the sun mm-hmm. um so thanks so much for coming here and doing this oh yeah no problem it's a pleasure i appreciate it we've known each other for a little while you were on the yeah. comedy podcast about a month ago maybe that's right good times. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good times. um you bring your bunny on the show Yep, Sir Jack. Uh, a little disappointed he's not here today, but <clears throat> whatever. That's fine. I just <laughs> didn't want him stealing my thunder. He he stole the show on the comedy set, so it's good to... It's all about me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. all about me today. <laughs> Fuck that bunny. It's about me today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we knew each other for a little while. We uh, met at the comedy open mics. Yep. And um, yeah, I guess I know a little bit about your story um and your experiences in mental health but um if you want to just jump right in and maybe sure talk about it i guess uh give the sparks notes (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in my i think i was maybe 23 22 um to be honest i wasn't accountable and did not want to accept that diagnosis so I went on to do my own thing and looking back I definitely um, avoided providing myself with a healthy lifestyle because I was I wasn't uh, being accountable for my mental health you know oh there's nothing wrong with me anyway um, I always was like a go-getter I've done a lot of different jobs and and pushed through and I've done different degrees a lot of stuff in the arts with acting and writing and painting. And then um, eventually you crash. So when I was in nursing school, I had a lot of stuff going on with my family, addictions running my family. Um, and uh, my father almost died on three occasions due to his drinking. And I was in the accelerated nursing program and I just crashed. And I went from one of the one of the top students to just basically failing. And um, what had happened was I was also during this time frame diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder. 
and I had been dealing with those symptoms for years, but I was so used to it. Um, even as a child, those types of symptoms became a part of my life. So naturally I didn't realize I was suffering from PTSD. Um, if you look at the DSM four today, the diagnostic manual of psychiatrists, you can actually see where there are more diagnoses pertaining to children with stress disorders. So if we went back in time, I probably would have been diagnosed very young, had of that diagnoses existed then, um, but yeah, so I'm, I deal with bipolar, um, I'm type 2, um, I deal with PTSD, and I'm also affected by seasonal affective disorder. The seasons are a big trigger um, for my periods of mania, hypomania, and depression, and I have extreme depression. Um, so when I crashed in nursing school, I, uh, I actually drove to the Hillsborough Bridge and walked up and jumped the guardrail and... I uh, was going to attempt to end my life. Um, the police uh, did intervene and they pulled me over the side of the guardrail just as I was about to jump. Um, I was taken and hospitalized for the first time in my life and I actually was um, in our acute mental illness at QEH for a couple of months, which is quite a long time. Um, most people are discharged quite sooner than that for acute. Um, but I worked pretty hard in there, figuring out a regimen to keep myself healthy. Um, and being fully accountable now, I will say, when I first was admitted, I did really want to end my life. That was a genuine attempt. And so I actually, and I have a lot of guilt about this because the staff found me and, you know, it, it put a lot of the nurses in a bad place, but I actually tried to end my life, um, on the unit as well and so when they found me they actually had to call respiratory so yeah because I locked myself in the bathroom and, and I don't want to be a trigger but I did proceed to attempt to to uh, hang myself so yeah okay but I was found in time um, I was very very sick yeah um, and I fight every day to try to let myself never go back to that place yeah. it's a lot of work anyway that's the sparks now it's there which is still quite long but um i have some really extreme stories i mean bipolar makes me who i am periods of being manic in my life are also the most looking back productive periods of my life um, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you feel like you can fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it makes me who I am. Yeah, um, yeah. But just like any illness, um, I don't really like to refer to it as mental illness. I like to refer to it as just illness on the spectrum of health. And I think it's also important to note when you're well. So there's also mental wellness. So there's mental health under health. And then you can be ill or you can be well. So I think the trick is focusing on the mental wellness um, to promote maintaining a positive health rather than focusing on the mental illness. Because um, we want to prevent those episodes if we can. They're going to happen. They're out of our control. I will relapse. Like right now with the seasonal affective thing going on, I am struggling and I can see myself going backwards, but it's being aware and accountable and trying to keep myself from going to that dark place. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was my <laughs> full. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, thank you for sharing all that. Um, that's actually something that uh, Maggie said. Um, our mutual friend Maggie, who passed away, uh, she talked about it. She just said, "I was so sick. I ended up in the hospital. I was in the hospital. I was way too sick to not be in the hospital. I just put it as sick yes. instead of you know, it's just illness. That's just what it is." It is. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're 100% right on that. Um, do you mind holding this a little bit closer? I think it's... Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, um, so, we can talk about a lot. Um, something I'm curious about, and I, I don't know how much you want to um, expand on it, but in those moments of um, being close to taking your own life or... Um, during the attempts. Um, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about like where your mind goes at that point or how, yeah. like maybe how it, the, the time leading up to that, like how it escalates up to that point and where your mind is at that time? Yeah. Um, I do think there always is something uh, that causes that escalation. Um, there are different types of mental health syndromes and disorders that can cause things to come on a lot quicker, but for myself, and I think for a lot of people, um, there's triggers and it's one, um, recognizing what your triggers are. Um, for me, there's a lot of codependency in my immediate family due to growing up in addictions and um, domestic abuse. Um, because what you learn is, um, and I'm sure a lot of people either know this or you hear about it from seeing articles or hearing people talk about abusive relationships, but during periods of time when things are going well there's so much love and then during periods of time where things aren't going well for myself it's usually um during my father's relapses um that's a huge trigger for me and I knowing what I know now it sends me back into symptoms of PTSD um I off note I do want to say that my father has been sober for two and a half years which is amazing because for someone who is drinking since he was 12 that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. 100%. Um, but for me that happens. And then, uh, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Then that can trigger, um, either mania in me, irritability, or it can be a crash and lead up to depression. Um, I have a lot of mixed states it's called hypomania. So it's, uh, being high, like having a lot of energy, but also starting to be low. So I can, my brain manifests and works really fast. And a lot of people misconceive. They think like with bipolar, it's either really happy, euphoria, or really sad, like really low. Right. But really what it is, is highs and lows are just that. They're manifested energies of highs and lows. So the lows typically do go into depression, but it starts with low energy first and tired and, and you know, not motivated, really down on yourself. And then that leaks into depression. And with highs, um, it can start with, you know, feeling really productive, um, not sleeping a lot. For people, that's a huge trigger of bipolar disorder. It's poor sleep hygiene. You start to not need sleep. Um, you, I've been awake for four or five nights at a time, which should be unheard of. And, and very productive with my writing and painting during those 
days. Um, but then what happens is that euphoria can actually turn into irritability. It can turn into talking over people, pressure to speech. Um, and then for me, usually that kind of ends up dropping into the full like hypomania and then into depression. So I was under a lot of stress during my suicide attempt with the bridge. I was in the accelerated nursing program, which is when you do a four year nursing degree in 22 months. Um, I've always been an overachiever. I want to stay on top of things, but I was unable to, um, my father had taken a heart attack from withdrawals. He almost passed away. Um, he had also been in a car accident where he went through the windshield and he was in the ICU and he's supposed to, and it was predicted that he was going to pass away. He was in a coma. Dad is tough as nails. <laughs> yeah, tough man. Um, bef- right before the nursing program, a couple of years before, he tried to thaw out frozen uh, pipes underneath the house in the winter with a blowtorch and the house caught on fire. He almost died from that too. <laughs> it's amazing the stupidity when you're drunk. <laughs> Um, but anyways, I love my father. I do want to make the note that he's a good man. He'd give his shirt off his back for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the reality of how bad his addiction was. And our family always revolved around that. And then in extension, other people developed addictions. There's a lot of personality disorders on my mother's side. And there's a lot of depression, um, bipolar and schizophrenia on my father's side. Suicide is prevalent in my family. And so whenever I'm triggered, whether it's by the seasons, whether it's by trying to be an overachiever, or whether it's from family codependency issues, which is something I need to be accountable for, I've learned to take space from my immediate family when things aren't going well, my brain starts to spin. I start to beat myself up. I start to get really low. And it gets to the point where I'm so sick, I can't see anything else but tunnel vision which includes I'm a piece of shit. Um, no one would miss me anyways. I'm a burden. I can't do anything because when I'm so manic or even functional and maintaining, I'm so productive that when I fall into these lows, I'm like, I'm worthless. I can't do anything. I can't get out of bed. I can't, you know, and it's that mindset. You just get so sick. Um, and it just feels like, well, it wouldn't matter anyways. Um, also a big trigger for me, and I think a lot of people is financial issues. So being, having been an artist over the course of my life, doing different artistic things, as well as, um, growing up like two in like a labor working family. And then, um, and then always having student decks. I've once or again was over ambitious and jumped around to different degrees. I think at that time, the financial pressure too, like not knowing what I was going to do with money because I basically was going to fail at a nursing school. So it's like now I'm in extra debt from doing another degree, but I'm not going to be able to make money to pay it back. I think that kind of spent me, sent me spiraling as well. Mm-hmm. So I know that was a long answer to your question, but it's just what it comes down to. I wasn't able to cope with all those things in my life. And those are certain triggers that I've recognized over time. Um, and you know, you're so determined to take your life when you're going to, um, cries of help people like with some suicide attempts. They're always, a, it's always, always take it serious. Like it, there's always a cry for help is still an attempt in its own way. Um, but for myself that night, I was genuinely, I wanted to die. Like that was it. I was going to kill myself. Um, and then in the hospital, 
a few days later, it was the same mission. That mission never ended in my head. If anything, I was trying to, I don't want to say trick the hospital staff, but like maybe let on that I was doing better than I was so that I would have the, when I had the opportunity, I would try to take my life again. I was that set on it. So yeah, like Margie, our friend who just passed away. Um, she was a cute little comic and amazing comic, but she, she said it well, when you're sick, you're sick mm-hmm. and you can't see anything. You have tunnel vision and it's very dark. It's very lonely. It's very lonely. Um, and e- sometimes even you could have all the support in the world, but when you get stuck in that tunnel, sometimes all you can see is no way out unless you take it into your own hands and end your life to get out of that tunnel. Would you describe it as overwhelming pain? I think that yes. Speaking for myself, I'm fluctuate in from being in and out of that overwhelming pain every day. Even when I'm high, it's like that expectation that I'm going to fall again. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in those moments of overwhelming pain, I don't want to say that that's the only driving force behind suicide attempt. Yeah. Um, because I think that overwhelming pain, um, I think it, it comes down to not being able to cope with the overwhelming pain and mm-hmm. not having coping strategies. Yeah. Um, but yes, the pain is so much more unbearable when you're so sick that you can't cope Mm -hmm. so i think you're right in saying that but i think it's important to note that for some of us we struggle every day and that overwhelming pain is sort of always there i'm always lonely Mm -hmm. i mean i do comedy now i'm surrounded by friends my friends are my family and i still feel lonely almost every day because right. it feels like no one knows what it's like to go through my thought processes. Right. Yeah. Even when I'm high and euphoric and doing really well, there's always that little bird in the back of my head being like, well, you're going to crash again, so you better enjoy this. Yeah. So, I guess your thought processes is a lot of what you just described. Yeah everything that you just described and what triggers you and the ebbs and flows of ups and downs and day to day. And even though what I just talked about is reality, I do want people to take from this that there is hope. I just, I just don't want to sugarcoat um, because we were talking about like how despairing despairing it can be in the moment. Yeah. But what what I want people to take from this, though, there is hope. I am still here. And even if you are someone it's, we're not going to play like compete with like what illnesses are worse than others. No, Everyone, of course you not. know, yeah. it's all relative to the person. Yeah. But for myself, um, I'm just being honest. There's some of us that struggle every day. Yeah. I, Cause I think there's this misconception that either with mental health, you're well or you're ill. Mm-hmm. And that is important in itself, but it's not that black and white. Cause some of us, we're going to live with this for the rest of our lives. Yeah. But there's hope. There's always hope. So I know what we just talked about was, you know, it's like the Debbie Downer, the situation, but I think it's important to be realistic of what the situation is before you can get better. And exactly. You can, you can get better. Yeah. 
And then that's actually what I was going to say is that uh, you're like super aware of all this and all your triggers and all like what was what's that process been like of because you said you weren't really aware of what you're going through like yeah. your journey of understanding what you have um your triggers and what you have to do to yep cope um like i said in my early 20s was my first um acquaintance to a psychiatrist and i was diagnosed with bipolar then and i just wasn't in the headspace to accept that that was reality Mm -hmm. i felt like no one was listening to me that i had other uh, illnesses going on and that they were just trying to label me as crazy yeah and so over time what i did was excuse me i kept a journal and um i am a writer and so 10 years down the road looking back through my journals there were trends trends with the seasons trends with my interpersonal relationships and trends with um poor sleep hygiene so letting myself get to the point where when I was manic not even realizing that I wasn't sleeping like oh I don't need sleep so it doesn't matter um and you know things are going so well it's hard to see that like because when I'm manic I'm so productive Mm -hmm. and a lot of the successes I've had in my life were doing the during those periods of time but I think if you do struggle at all keeping a journal I know some people don't like to journal um so not even to vent but maybe just record every day like what you almost like like one line of what you ate one line of how things are going in your relationships in your life one line how you're just feeling that day good bad it could even be a smiley face or a sad face you well look back and see trends Mm -hmm. of what have affected you Mm -hmm. and um i started doing that oh geez i was almost in my 30s by that point um and i think it's the fact too i grew up in a family who showed love in a very different way um very for lack of better words backwoods and um you know no one ever talked about mental health even though my uncle committed suicide and my father found him even though our family is full of addictions even though there's depression and clearly personality disorders. It was like that was the norm. Like no one even recognized that that was a thing in itself. Like that's just the way people were. That wasn't sick. That was just like black and white. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have the tools by the time I was not a minor anymore. So going through school, I really struggled, but it was like, toughen it up. You don't talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, looking back too, and you you could look at my school records. I probably missed over 50 days of school a year because I had anxiety that bad. I couldn't leave the house. So what did that feel like when down those days? Like during my teens? Like going like, through that? Yeah, the days where your anxiety was too bad. Uh, I just felt really worthless, uh, really lonely. Um, a lot of the times my father would go missing for periods of time because he was a binge drinker and it wasn't like he was out partying. He would be out literally just drinking uh, rum in a woods by himself, like to the point of almost death for like, you know, weeks straight. No one could find him. We never knew if he'd come back home alive. So 
I never felt like I could leave, I think, because I was always waiting for him to come home. But okay. also, too, this anxiety. Because, um, you know, I started figuring that out probably when I was like eight or nine, that something wasn't right. And then that anxiety, by the time I got to junior high school and high school turned into depression. And then I fluctuated. And bipolar does run in my family, um, as well as schizophrenia. And, uh, like, with uncles and, and aunts, not necessarily my immediate family. Bipolar, yes, and personality disorders, yes. But anyway, and so whatever, I guess, maybe genetic component I was carrying in myself over those times triggered it to develop into full-blown bipolar. But I was so unstable come high school, really successful in sports, really, you know, pumping out, like, um, but then, like, when I wasn't doing well, I'd miss class. My grades would drop. Like, it, I was never stable. And even though I had friends, I'd push them all away. I'd mm-hmm. isolate myself. So I think isolation, loneliness was a big thing. Feeling misunderstood, but not even knowing that's what's going on with yourself. Um, I always had these movies in my head during school. I call them movies. But now what I know is that they were flashbacks from trauma during my childhood that I was having during like junior high school and high school and that that in itself probably was stressing me out Mm -hmm. um yeah i always kind of thought everyone had like a tv going on in their head with so you get flashbacks to things that happened kind of thing yeah and so going into my 20s these things got worse and worse but they just felt like a natural part of me i never questioned it which sounds crazy in itself Mm -hmm. um but i never had those tools yeah. I just thought it was a part of me. I thought everyone was affected by their thoughts all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you get really self-absorbed when you're sick. You just focus on yourself because it's, yeah, it's 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 a strange, weird cycle. You hate yourself, but you're so self-absorbed in your own life because that's all you can focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and those trends carried into university, uh, doing really well, being high in class, and then dropping and almost failing sometimes and not showing up for class. Um, Just very unstable during my academic careers. My art, being able to pump out enough art for an art show in a month and barely sleeping and then crashing and not be able to produce more than like two or three pieces in the year after that. Writing, you know, I I won five Island Literary Awards in my 20s. Um, And then... I went on and I published a book and like had publishing in different things. And then when I went back into nursing school and crashed again, I've barely been productive artistically since. Comedy has been a huge coping mechanism going into comedy. Yeah. I just go on tangents, Matt. Sorry. It's like pretty heavy. It's just, I guess I don't talk about it a whole lot i don't have this opportunity or this platform so sorry if it's a lot <laughs> no no it's great it's great i think it's good to share um everything comedy's been a uh, great for me too yeah you're saying yeah i really uh i enjoy doing it it's almost like i just get a lot out of it i don't know it's like whether i do good up there like i'm, I'm obviously trying to do good or yeah but like I just get a lot just getting up there and doing it. For yeah. sure. It's funny for me. It's a little bit of a love-hate relationship. I get really anxious. I have a lot of 
bad uh, stage fright, fright, even though I acted for years. I kind of find, like, stand-up comedy is throwing yourself to the wolves. Like, you never know. Like, it's nothing like acting. Like, you're kind of just getting up there naked and telling jokes, and you don't know how they'll be received or if they're even funny. Like, yeah. there's, a, there's a method. It takes many weeks to pound out your jokes to even feel out like what works generally with audiences yeah, and yeah. what doesn't when you're solidifying jokes like you don't just get up and do especially with the big crowds you know. above us eh? <laughs> <laughs> this is the issue it's hard to because the comedy scene's so small on the island it's great that it's growing yeah yeah but because it's so small there's not a lot of venues for us to pound our jokes so yeah, i have yeah. to even figure out if they're working or not beyond the 10 same people bob is every hey, week by the way <laughs> Shout out to the Open Mic Comedy uh, Night. Yeah. Every Monday at 8 p.m. there's comedy. Uh, We're amazing. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's really funny. There's a bunch of comics, not just us. There's about eight others, and we're all funny, and there's a lot of laughs. It's a good time. I guarantee you have fun, so you should all come. (laughs) (laughs) I might bomb, but it's okay. Come laugh at me, bomb. Yeah. (laughs) Laugh at us or with us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a good time. I encourage anyone to get up. I think it's very therapeutic and just fun. Um, Ironically, though, because we're doing a mental health podcast, I've been so uh, pleasantly invited by you. We should say it's very ironic that comics are the saddest people. <laughs> There's not one person that I've met from like Toronto, Montreal, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, or PEI that is a comic that isn't either mentally ill or are mentally well, but have been mentally ill or are surrounded by people in their life who also suffer from mental illness. Yeah, yeah. Like, There's always a, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of research on it right now, too. Like, um, so obviously it's a coping mechanism, but I think, yeah, like anything, you have to sort of keep yourself in check. Because for me, even just getting back from doing a little road trip, I kind of, I think that may have been a crash for me as well. Like, doing like jokes at different venues across a couple of different provinces like woo this is so much fun and then coming home and being like oh it's over (laughs) how was that by the way it was good I mean I'm just a baby comic like I'm just starting out I'm not very good I have good moments but I'm not consistent yet um and to have the opportunity to perform in a few other provinces east of Toronto, um, it's great to see, like, gauge how your jokes lend to different audiences. Mm-hmm. The further I got away from PEI, the further my uh, sense of humor was different from the crowds <laughs> I was presenting to. So it was le- it's learning maybe to edit my jokes so that some of them i mean obviously i want to keep some of them local but it's learning to make material that's accessible to all populations i think yeah um and not everyone's gonna find you funny or maybe you'll only have a few jokes in your set that hit it off with everyone but um it was so great to meet other comics i think that was my favorite part and also um we don't have a lot of female comics around here so it was really um inspiring and just nice to like make some female comic friends Mm -hmm. yeah that's great yeah. yeah and it was just fun like it's uh it's a lot of fun doing it it is and it's funny like because i didn't really know anyone every time i p- 
performed at a venue, it actually took the pressure off me because it was like, I didn't feel like there was any expectations. Like here, it's funny. Some people prefer their friends or people they know watching them. They feel supported. I feel like people will have expectations of me like, oh, she's going to be so funny. And then if I bomb, it's like, I hate myself. Yeah. 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 It's like all your friends show up and like it's the first time they ever seen you and you're just like... Uh, uh, yeah. I guess I'm good at this. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, everyone's going to have good sets and bad sets. Like even yeah. the pros say that. But anyways, I'm not doing it to like be like, oh, I'm going to make it. But it's just yeah. it's just something. You know what? Uh, mental health wise, it makes me, I have a deal with myself. I have to perform at least once every week. Mm-hmm. And so that pushes me to like be accountable, even if I'm having a hard week and it's hard to get out of bed and stuff. It's something that keeps me productive i have to write that week or edit jokes and i have to get up and perform them once and like this week i was really down and i really uh wasn't happy with my set at baba's which i mean baba's it's an open mic it's a good place to practice so i actually went to upstreet the next night and went on their open stage which was basically just bands so i got up between music and i pumped out my set and even you know it, it was actually like people were really supportive and i got a few more laughs like I was so that in itself it made me accountable it helped my mental health I felt productive and it also forced me to like tighten up the jokes that I tried on Monday that maybe yeah. didn't sell and yeah. there was other ones that people still didn't laugh at so then now I know to cut those jokes yeah 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 that's the thing it's really just practice and figuring out what works and what doesn't and it's like anything yeah yeah and it is like it's an artistic um expression you know because sure. you, you read it and then you perform it so yeah no, it's the same same thing for me. It's just, yeah, I work on it every week. Go do it. It's a lot of fun. I always feel so much better after I do it. And even, just even, the yeah. people, right? Like yeah. It's, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. If you do it well, even if you do bad, you still feel better, even though you're like, oh, fuck. Not me. I feel like I want to die afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought my jokes were funny. Oh. Well, my jokes are like, it depends on what you want to deal with. I've had some bad sets for sure. It's like, oh. Everyone does. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah. I feel, for me, like a lot of my humor is self-deprecating. So that's how I deal with a lot of my internal shit. Yeah. So if I'm throwing self-deprecating jokes out and people laugh at them, it makes me kind of like find the fun in my internal shit. Yeah. But then if I bomb and no one laughs, I'm like, oh, I just bummed everyone out because <laughs> I am a sad sack of shit. <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but anyways, good times. Go support your local comedians. I remember this one one time there was like um okay, there's usually people there. Yeah. There over the summer it was really busy. I remember this one time though, there was like one guy there. There were two guys there, but there was one guy in the middle table mm-hmm. and it was like I was doing my uh, one nut I I have one nut for anyone who doesn't know. Um, it's he, a great set <laughs> check out his one not or check it out in person whatever maddie is feeling that day sorry just want to give your not a plug so it was when i first started doing that set <laughs> <laughs> i started getting into it i have one nut and this guy's just looking at me like like it's just him and he's just like he's like trying to laugh but he just like huh oh just no laugh just crickets so i was like oh, okay all right and everyone <laughs>, laughs differently too like some people actually may be finding things funny but they don't laugh out loud or sometimes yeah, people yeah. are scared to laugh yeah. or sometimes people just hate it and that's okay fuck you but it's okay <laughs> i'm just joking yeah, like, yeah. it's totally fine right that's the thing it's interesting don't you find it if you're if you're having a night where you're not nervous 
yeah. and you're actually listening to the audience, it can be really interesting to listen to what they're laughing at and what they're not. Yeah. Like when I wasn't nervous in Montreal because I didn't know anyone, um, when I got up, I took my time doing my set because I was really relaxed. I probably just came off more genuine, but I found it really interesting to kind of just hold the microphone to see like what people were laughing at and mm -hmm. what not. And that in itself is so cool. Mm -hmm. Like that is what's really interesting for me. So I, I'm hoping I settle oh, yeah. down with anxiety yeah, all the yeah. time. Um, but I know what you mean. Like that guy who was just like, oh, okay. Like, I don't, yeah. this is awkward. It's just like, okay, just one nut, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was like, you know, maybe he was like, hmm, maybe I only have one nut and I never knew. <laughs> Trust me, you figure it out at a young age. Something's different. But anyway, um, yeah, that's like the next level, right? Is like actually listening to the audience and being like, oh shit, this doesn't work. Maybe I'll hit them with this. And, and how you tell your jokes and how you deliver them. You could have the best written jokes ever, but it's all about delivery. Exactly. And yeah. it kind of changes every night. You may have a planned out, like the order of your set, but the ambience of the room affects things. Sometimes you forget where you're going. You can miss a tag. So then yeah, the joke yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's just blank. You're just like, you're about to do a tag. And then like, at least I do anyway. I'm just like, I get lost in this, like the ether. And I'm like, oh fuck, what was I saying? And then I like, yeah. Start kind of fall back into it. And sometimes, though, I think if you're genuine in those moments, um, the audience appreciates it. Like, yeah, they yeah. kind of laugh. Yeah, if, yeah. If you can laugh. If you actually that, say that out loud, you're like, oh, fuck, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they find that amusing in, in, in itself. Exactly. Again, laugh with or at us. Yeah, I mean, I mean... Our lives are already ruined from mental health issues, so it's not going to get any worse. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just joking. But that's kind of like what it is. It's like, that's the kind of thing about uh, people doing like comics. It's like, there's a thing where like they're, they're willing, willing to go through embarrassment because something... They don't give a fuck about it anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, or, in some, or maybe you're working through something too to yeah. get to the point where you don't give a fuck about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's when the the best jokes evolve. Like that's yeah. how they evolve. Yeah. It's not. Some people think it's just getting up and improving and saying jokes. And there are people who are talented and can do that. Yeah. But that's a different process. Yeah, in yeah. Itself. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a lot of editing. <laughs> And a lot of self-deprecation. And like Maddie said, a lot of just learning to not give a flying fuck. Yeah, yeah. That's what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. And we're just noobs. Noobs. We're baby <laughs> comics. And Infants. we're just we're just getting by every day like everyone else. Um, But that was a long tangent on comedy. So if anyone was interested, there you go. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Mental health. <laughs> We're just avoiding the elephant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but um, wherever the conversation goes, you know, um, what was I going to say? So you got diagnosed in your early 20s with bipolar 2? Yes. And was that it? Or is it? Moved? At that point, um, and probably seasonal affective disorder okay um but then i think when i was would it be 29 third in my third 30 31 30 i was uh when i started actually reaching out for help again um i was diagnosed at that point also with ptsd 
Right, yes. Okay. And um, like officially it was seasonal affective disorder. Okay. Um, and it's thought, you know, if I would have went for help and actually taken care of myself, I would have been diagnosed with all of these things a lot earlier in life. Okay. But that's not how it went, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. So just um, so we're clear, I think bipolar 2 is, what's the, the difference between bipolar 1 and 2 is 2 you have like many episodes whereas one you have one or is is something like that uh sort of so um in some ways it's all semantics trying to stick people in boxes but with type one it's typically people who operate um when they're not well with mania they don't necessarily experience the depression um or they've only had one huge manic episode and when we say huge like something you know someone thinks they can fly or they think you know, they're very, it's very delusional. Like it's very, their thoughts are so euphoric and so big. It usually incorporates a big delusion. It's like psychosis almost. Exactly. But you can also get psychosis. Hello. Um, we have bipolar type two. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so bipolar type two, it's more, uh, and a lot of people they'll go, from a diagnosis of type one as time goes on into type two diagnoses because type two has a lot of depression and then with oscillating hypomania, which I explained earlier where it's your manic, but maybe not completely out of control, but still affects your life. You can still be delusional, all those things just maybe not as extreme or you can still have episodes of, of intense mania as well. But you're right, it's more of an oscillation. And there's also a misconception that like you switch like that. It's over time. It can be over weeks or even months, depending on what your triggers are. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there's also like the other category for bipolar, where you can't really like put someone in like in a box and they're just another yeah and then there's schizoaffective disorder which is a combination of bipolar symptoms and schizophrenic symptoms which sometimes happens when people are trying to figure out if someone is bipolar or schizophrenic because the delusions can be so big if someone's so sick yeah and so off the rails um their delusions can be just so much that it may be like is this person suffering with schizophrenia um or is it bipolar? And it can take a while to figure those things out. And some people you never do and they get classified as schizoaffective because they're affected by both symptoms. Right. That's why learning a regimen to keep yourself healthy, being accountable, and having support systems are so important. Right. And it's really sad for people that don't have those support systems. So what's your version of that? Um, a big thing for me is my friends. My friends are my family. Um, for some people, you know, they are close enough with their immediate family too, that you can work together, make a plan, a strategy to recognize when someone's slipping. For me, it's being accountable so that when I notice if I'm slipping, I reach out to my friends. I'm also very blessed, especially in a province like Prince Edward Island, where there are barriers to access. I have a, I'm very fortunate. I have a beautiful mental health team. Um, I have a psychiatrist, I have a mental health nurse and my family doctor is great. So I basically have a mental health team and they all collaborate and speak with each other. And I see them all very regularly because unfortunately I'm one of those people I can slip pretty easily. Um, So it keeps me accountable by going to my appointments, trying to nip things in the bud before they get bad. But you know what? Sometimes I still slip and I can't see it coming. 
Um, I'm just fighting the crash right now. Like I am crashing, but I recognize too, it's probably because of the decrease in sunlight as well as, you know, starting to do well artistically again. And now kind of, it's like a quiet period. So it's just being able to accept those and try to keep myself from falling into a low, but not beating yourself up if you do fall into a low, Mm -hmm. being able to accept it and knowing you can get back out of it with the proper supports. So I think supports come from one, the community, like mental health resources. Um, I think on PEI, a lot of people are focusing on like health PEI and there's huge wait lists, but there are other private people like Catholic family services who are not religious, by the way. It's just that they've always been funded by the church. Um, There's other private sectors and resources. So if you have the energy or if you're able to help someone else who doesn't have the energy, looking up what resources are available in our community, because you need that professional support if you can get it. Mm-hmm. And then having supports with friends and family if you can get it. But at the end of the day, we have to be accountable and reach out and make build that support for ourselves if we want to live a happy and healthy life. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Maybe I'll put that in the description, the Catholic Family Services. And yeah, if I, there's, there's any a others. few more. Um, and even too, a lot of times, if... You, if uh, now, Here's the thing. Mental health can be really tough if you're if you're poor. So living in the lower class, you don't have um, access to uh, benefits, health benefits, if you're not working a good job, a high-paying job, or if you're not working at all. Of course. And so what happens is you can't afford private treatment, so you go on wait lists. The problem is, one thing I'd like to say, and if anyone is listening to this podcast or to this particular part, please remember... If you do have health benefits, rather than wait, uh, going on wait lists with health PEI and taking maybe the spot from someone else who needs it, please consider using your benefits until you get into your psychiatrist. Okay. Because a lot of people don't take advantage of the benefits that they have through their work. Yeah. Um, research has shown it in Charlestown. Yeah. And then that just is going to. Back. I'm not saying everyone's entitled to accessing resources through health PEI. I'm not saying that they're not. But I do want to remind people there's a lot of people on the wait list that are in poverty and they have no other resources. No other options. That makes sense. So, um, yeah, and recognizing too, like, so a lot of it's education. And if people are too sick, they can't educate them, themselves. So I'm not blaming anyone. If you're working even a great job and you are not doing well, And there's, you know, you're not going to take the time to research these resources. So I just wish our community, if we could find a way, like even you just sharing that in the description, Mm -hmm. it's going to help educate people what resources are there. Yeah. Because the thing is, we don't have a lot of psychiatrists. The wait list is years. And people need that, whether, no matter what class you're from, lower, middle, high. Um, But it is a lot harder. There's a lot more barriers for people who don't have a lot of money to access mental health Mm -hmm. support. Yeah. Yeah. um, Years is a very long time. Pardon? Years, waiting years is a very long time. Ridiculous. If you're in dire needs, waiting a month, um, what I will say is we're going to have a mental health campus built on the island. Um, They're putting in, I think it's like $100 million funding into it which will be great because we'll have a specific hospital, not just Unit 9 in QEH or the unit up in the Summerside Hospital, which those are meant to 
treat acute episodes. So if someone suddenly gets sick or if they're starting to not do well, helping set them up for success to put them back out in the community. And then we have our long-term one, very small, Hillsborough Hospital, which should be condemned. It's very run down. So the mental health campus will be a hospital community that will have a hospital specifically designated for psychiatric needs. Yeah. Um, it'll be a better version of our live-in Hillsborough Hospital. And um, there will be more acute resources. So I'm hoping as that develops, it's going to help educate the community and provide more resources. PEI is a very high rate of addiction. Um, addiction goes hand in hand with mental health. There's not, you know, there's people who they can't be discharged from the hospital until they have somewhere to legally go and live. Um, and a lot of people are homeless because of addiction. And then our, our homeless shelters are overrun. So it, it's, it's a string of problems that are causing these issues to what people can access because everything's getting um, backlogged. Everything's, you know, basically on back order. And so the list just keeps. So, yeah, there's we just need to all work together. I think it needs to become a community initiative, not so much a political one. Maybe working with politics to help the community help ourselves. But I think we need to take a more holistic approach on helping one another. That's going where the uh, Hillsborough Hospital is now, right? I think so. And to be honest, like, I don't know. Obviously, I'm not inside the government. I don't know a lot of details, but I'm just hoping that this offers people hope. Mm -hmm. We're so focused right now on... um, what the system doesn't offer us, like, because we need to advocate for ourselves and there's so many people that need help and they're not getting it. And it's not appropriate. Um, the resources just aren't there. Like we said, there are some that people aren't aware of and that's going to have to be educating everyone what, what they can access. But, um, I do want us to focus on the fact that there is hope and that if we all come together, that maybe moving forward, we can make the system better. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when you get too stuck on the negatives, you are putting a wall between evolving and moving forward. Yeah. 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 You're like focusing on what's not there when you could have been fucking building what could be there. Yeah. And, you know, even us as uh, people who suffer, our friends that suffer, our family that suffer, everyone's just so mad. And I don't blame them. And people are starting to listen. We need to advocate for ourselves. And people are, are pissed off. That's great. Like, I mean, keep, you know, keep the, keep fighting for what we need. But I think we also need to start, like you said, building bridges and working with who can build these things. Maybe we should have a say in what happens with the development of this mental health campus. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we shouldn't just leave this in the government's hands if we want it to be what helps us. Yeah. Yeah. Building positive relationships moving forward so that these barriers can come down this is a very serious podcast super serious which is very unlike our relationship as friends Uh (laughs) it needs to be said though so i'm really uh it's a privilege that you invited me here to talk about this stuff i appreciate it no i love everything you're saying and uh, i really appreciate like you opening up and anyone who comes on that opens up because i know it's like it's not, it's not an easy thing to do to come on and open up and really, yeah, share. Well, you're creating a safe space, Matt, and I think that's important. And um, I hope people what they're getting from any of this that creating safe space, safe spaces for ourselves and for others is 
key. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, so I think we might have went over this, but from your day-to-day activities, um, what does that look like as far as like everything you do in a day to kind of maintain your sure. mental health? Um, so being fully accountable right now, like I said, I am going through a bit of a crash. I could lie and just go right into this and say what my coping skills are and what I do to maintain. Um, but so, like today I had a hard time getting out of bed. Um, but then I made myself come here tonight. I didn't cancel on you. You know, mm. I was pushing myself to do something. But typically what the goal is, and I think this is something, and it doesn't work for everyone, but it's a little thing I've learned. I learned it from someone else. Every day when you get up, if you can get up at the same time, even if you're unproductive the entire day, and I don't want to say you're unproductive because you're doing something if you're getting out of bed. If you're that sick, but you're making yourself get out of bed, you're doing something. Yeah. But even if it isn't the same time, get out of bed and make your bed after you get out of it. Yeah. Because you're resetting your day. There's nothing worse, and I think everyone will agree with this, if you're surrounded by clutter and mess, but when you're so depressed or feel like shit, no one wants to deal with it. And it just builds up around you and it makes you feel worse. Yeah. And so I think one thing that I try to do and that I recommend for others, if you're interested, get up. And soon as you're up, I mean, maybe you brush your teeth or you use the wash and eat breakfast, but make your bed. Because when you make your bed, you're setting your day. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't do anything else that day, the one thing that you got out of bed and you made your bed so that you can re-get into your bed that night, mm-hmm. that's something. It is something. If you yeah. accomplish one thing a day, no matter how ill you are, if you have a shower, Sh- showering hygiene is really hard when you feel like shit mm-hmm. you know people can go days without showering mm-hmm. or whatever um i've met a lot of people just through different things you know their hair get really tangly and mad and matted because they haven't washed their hair in a week kind of thing and they just they just don't have the energy to get a shower right so one step i think is getting up every day and making your bed mm-hmm. when i'm doing well that's no issue getting cleaned up, having good hygiene, that's not an issue. Making sure you eat, um, or one thing that I do is making sure I eat like a balanced, uh, one of my biggest poor coping skills is being an emotional eater. Um, many people know this about me, but I went from being like a high level athlete to putting on 110 pounds in 10 months because I was feeling so shitty and I'm still rebounding back from that. Um, and it's hard. And so I really feel if you can, even if you can't find it in yourself to eat super healthy. I feel like that's high level eating. <laughs> it is. I mean, I deserve a record. Yeah. Like, I deserve a medal for that. You switch really. sports. Like, I know. I feel like I just switched into like pie eating. Or <laughs> yeah. something. But um, I feel if you can make yourself eat a few meals a day spread out because a lot of people they don't feel like eating at all and they're depressed and then you end up binge eating like yeah. at the night mm-hmm. yeah. or maybe you're one of those people you don't eat at all and you lose a lot of weight if you're doing well enough to get out of bed and hopefully hold good hygiene hold good meal habits we can't all afford to eat perfectly healthy but even just making sure you get those meals in no matter how small and just spaced out And trying not to binge at night. And the last thing I will say is sleep hygiene is a huge trigger for everyone. Poor sleep hygiene, so not going to the bed at night at the same time. 
going to bed later and later, but still having to get up earlier sets you up for not being successful. So a lot of us, I don't know about you, I'm a night hawk or a night owl, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. sometimes what happens is I keep my, over time, I'll go to bed later and later. So I'm getting less and less sleep. And sleeping longer and this fucks everything up. And then I sleep longer the next day, makes me depressed, or I become manic and need less and less sleep. Yeah. And then when I'm not sleeping, I go off the rails, you know. Tanya can fly. Tanya's Tanya's going to be, you know, the next prime minister. Tanya's going to write an award-winning novel and then that's just going to extend into people noticing her and then she's going to go and win a Grammy and an Oscar somehow cuz she wrote, you know, these you get really driven and there's being driven and there's being healthy driven and not being healthy driven and it's you can get really delusional if you're not sleeping you can it goes very quick from being productive manic or happy manic to from happiness to irritability or from being productive to not being productive because you're delusional or crashing and going into extreme depression Mm -hmm. i had a some experiences with that like not sleeping when i was going through like heavy grieving like a yeah. year or two ago but i'd be up for like two or th- you're not even like a human at that point like four or four days in or or whatever you know heart barely any you're sleep not, you're just you're like, like you're barely <laughs> a human yeah but um no i think that's great and that's something i've been practicing in my life too um making the bed uh as soon as you wake up and um yeah, clutter, because that's, you know, like, I find just, it's all just things that, like, it's kind of an extension of your mind if it's really cluttered. So, like, anything that needs to be done, I try to just do it. You know, if something needs to be cleaned, the yeah. dishes, whatever, if I just do it, I just feel better. And that's a regimen in itself. Yeah. You're trying to nip something in the butt before it happens because you know when you get down the clutter well build up you don't yeah, want to yeah. do the laundry you don't want to do the dishes you yeah, don't want to get out of bed you stop making your bed these are all things that will add up over time if you're susceptible to falling into depression mm-hmm. um i know you're leading this interview but i feel like i'm taking control because it's all about me <laughs> i'm just joking <laughs> but i, I just reins. wanted to ask you like you just talked about grieving yeah and so i mean what i talked about was really heavy because i was on the other side where i tried to commit suicide so i know that could have been it can be a trigger for someone who's lost someone to suicide and who's grieving Mm -hmm. um so i guess like maybe like a caution to people watching this like depending on what side of the table you're on like do you know what i yeah yeah what i mean i see what you're saying yeah i like um Remember, once again, remember there's hope. Like, Matt went through a lot of grieving, and I'm sure you, but like, you're doing really well. Yeah, yeah. Yourself. Yeah. And I put the work in to keep myself well. Yeah. Um, I think creativity plays a big part in that, seeing what keeps you happy and not letting go of that. Yeah. No, I think like, yeah. Um, before now you telling me that story might have been a way bigger trigger you know yeah and we did talk about this before recording this podcast yeah about about what is potentially triggering and not yeah Yeah. um but i didn't really you know feel triggered but that's really only because and it's kind of what you just said like the grueling work that i put in the last three years of every day fighting through it 
um, and doing those things to maintain my mental health every day and work through it. And you really just have to go through it. Like, um, and it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Like you boy, you have to, like, you have to go through it. You have to be sad, angry, cry for hours, um, not sleep for days. Like you have to go through all the motions and then eventually, you know, at the end of it, you, you, you get somewhere, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, you get there through work and accountability, like you said, I think. And not everyone is able to do that when they're really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and like try to map out how to, like, if you don't know all this stuff, like how do you map out like, or even know what's wrong with you? Um, if you're on a waiting list, like yeah. how do I fucking even begin? Where do I begin? I don't and even know what's wrong with me. Your how do environment. I? Like, yeah. look at what I grew up in. I didn't know, <clears throat> I didn't know the difference. I, you think these things are normal. Like, yeah. Uh, and then when you realize they're not like you're saying accessibility to resources mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think it's really important if you're well enough to hear this, but you only have yourself and you have to reach out and, and put the work in. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what maybe you're saying. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. But also with that said, I hope we all as a community can learn and know when we can and should help people mm-hmm. pick themselves up to yeah, help yeah. them be able to get well enough to take care of themselves. Yeah, 100%, yeah. I mean, this isn't this isn't a, you know, like a one-sided game. It's, no, it's a no. community effort. No. Yeah, 100%. No, you, yeah, um, yes, you need, um, you need to seek help. You need to find, the, you need to go to the resources. You need to find out where you're at, what's going on. You need to talk to somebody. You need to have connections. You need to have, you know, your family, your friends, people you can talk to. You need all that stuff. Um, and then you need to make yourself accountable to do all those things on a regular basis, I guess. But yeah, it's not all you. It's not like pull yourself by your bootstraps or anything like that. It's like you need your community. Yep. Um, and then you need to uh, you need to learn how to work through it. Your like yourself and and there's going to be a relapse with yeah. mental illness. There's relapse. My I'm I'm going to be bipolar for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, I. I we all struggle in our own ways. It's all relative. I'm not saying my situation's worse off than anyone else, but for me, I do struggle hard. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be times where I probably can't help myself, but it's like putting those precautions in to catch me when I do fall. I have a good mental health team that will recognize if I'm slipping Yeah. or what my friends can do if they recognize if I'm isolating myself. Yeah. It's still going to be up to me, but I think, if you pre set up that awareness, you will be successful. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you people need safety nets. Yeah, you need 100%. A, you need a safety plan. You need safety nets. And dear Lord, if you are suffering and you don't even know what you're suffering from, please reach out before you get stuck in that dark tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and find things that make you happy. Mm-hmm. For us, maybe it's writing jokes and making asses out of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's painting. Maybe your creativity is the fact that you're a farmer and you're finding creative ways to produce your crops. Maybe you're a teacher and you like to find innovative ways 
and creative ways to teach your students. Art isn't necessarily, creativity isn't necessarily a synonym for artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think we're all creative and we need to tap into that. So I think that's important. I'm actually um, doing a TED Talk. I got accepted to do a TED Talk. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Um, on uh, mental wellness um, and creativity. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so when does that, how do you know the dates or anything yeah. like that? Uh, June 20th, 2020. So got got some time to prepare. That's awesome. Hopefully I don't fall into the abyss. <laughs> I can uh-huh. keep, myself, my head, keep myself afloat so that I can uh, deliver something, even if it only reaches a couple of people, if it makes a difference. I, you know, it's worth it. And I'm sure you will and you'll kill it. Um, watch out for that. June 2020. Yeah, and I want it to be fun. Like I want yeah. it to, I want it to be engaging. I want the audience to participate in I want the moment. I want the TED Talk to be a creative moment within a creative environment where everyone is inspired. Um and I hope that we can touch on serious things like you and I have talked about today through that TED Talk, through creativity so that people can actually feel how incorporating creativity in their life can lend to their mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you'll throw, some, throw in some jokes in there because you won't be able to help oh, yourself. Oh, yeah. This, <laughs> no, I just want it to be depressing and I, <laughs> I want people to go home. <laughs> super modest home. And like, you know, super bummed out. And <laughs> no, maybe Jack will come. Maybe I'll, I'll roll Jack onto the stage. If you don't know, I have a rabbit. His name's Jack. He's cool as hell. And he is with the times. Anyway, <laughs> he might be there. He'll be there. I'll put on like his little beret, like a little artist, a little artiste's hat. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love what you said about creativity, though. I do, I do think we're all creative in our own way. And I think, um, mm. yeah, I think like um, I've said this before. I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I think um, suppressed, suppressed creativity is one of the saddest things in the world and i think it's also like what creates a lot of sadness suppressed creativity when people can't be creative in any way i think a lot of people don't think they are creative or they never tap into that creativity it's like losing that inner child like yeah if you just become monochronic doing your nine to five put your time in you yeah. live to work. You don't work so you can live. You just live to work and you're yeah. just doing your thing. It becomes monotonous and a really sad place to live. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, I'm going to butcher this information, but I, I was, um, I seen this, I think it was a study and um, they studied um, the ability of children at a young age to, uh, I think it was like make up a story. Or, um, do you know what I'm talking about? Or, um, I think it was like to make up a story and anyway, anyway, some sort of creative venture, mm-hmm. uh, it was either create, um, writing or drawing mm-hmm. and they had no problem with it at like six years old. And then at like eight or nine, the most of them had no problem with it. And then like, as they got older, less and less of them could do it in like a creative way oh. or it's like, like the system. Um, cause you know, it's like. You have to draw on the lines and like if you don't, I think a lot of people think like if they don't fit into like the traditional artistry, like I can't paint, I'm not very good at drawing, I'm not creative. 
and yes. they just leave it at that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like we're kind of told or like we think in the society that because we don't fit into that box we're not creative and they kind of shut the door on it yeah and you can be creative in so many different ways yeah and also for the people who say i can't write i can't draw you can it just takes practice yeah anyone can learn to draw yeah yeah. anyone can learn to paint yeah anyone can learn to act of course there's some people i don't want to say they possess more natural talent but maybe they have more of an acuity for those things well it's true anyone can learn to do these things and that said those are not the only way to be creative yeah, we're just talking about like how anyone can learn to draw, anyone can learn to paint. Of course, some people have more of a natural acuity for it, but anyone can learn these things. And with that said, those aren't the only way to be creative. Yeah. There's lots of different type of art people produce. Someone's art may be running their business. That is their art. And they do it through creative outlets. Like, you know, being able to draw a dragon doesn't necessarily mean that you are aren't creative based on that type of art we all can produce art and it's different for all of us what that creative process means yeah yeah i think yeah shutting the door on on that completely or boxing yourself out putting yourself in a box where you say you're not creative i think that's not healthy i think um yeah like the flow state you get when you're creating there's something about that. Like if you get that, it's like it greatly boosts your mental health if you have that in your life. Like, yeah, the process. Sometimes the process is more beautiful than the product. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Very therapeutic, the mm-hmm. process. Yeah. And even if it's like a pain in the ass, the process, you always learn something from it. And exactly, yeah. After you're done, the pro- what you've learned from the process can be more rewarding than the piece of art you've created or whatever result you may have from that creative process exactly it's like it's exactly like when you write a joke and that's not funny on stage you're like yeah dang <laughs> i know dang i'm just back yeah. to the drum board <laughs> back to crying <laughs> <laughs> we all deal with our failures in comedy differently For some of us, it's taking a panic attack before every time we get on stage and then crying after or celebrating after. And for others, it's learning and being really happy with that. (laughs) We're all different. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) And that's the end of that. This has been Maddie's Mental Health Podcast. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um. I think maybe we should wrap it up on that. I think a lot yeah. of good was said. Uh, is there anything more you'd like to add or say? Final uh, thoughts? I don't know. You guys just listen to me ramble and take over Maddie's podcast <laughs> for the last hour. But um, I just want everyone who's listening, if you can take solace in the fact that there is hope, and hope manifests itself in many different ways for many people. But if you're not feeling well, or if you have someone around you who isn't feeling well, educating yourselves or to, to find information even for others and what resources are available, building a support network with family and friends. People are so fortunate that have people in their life that care about them. 
for someone who is really struggling and you feel alone, please reach out or find outlets or make a plan that can make you successful before it gets worse. And if you aren't well enough and you just can't see the light, that's okay. It's okay to be not well. Don't beat yourself up if you fall off the wagon. Don't hate on yourself. But if you can try to embrace it in a way that there is light at the end of the tunnel, you're going to get so much further ahead. Um, And I really, really just want people to remember there is hope. Some of us fight for our lives every day. Some of us, it only will happen to us once in our lives. And for some of us, it comes and goes. But just remember keeping yourself well. Um, You know, it's a spectrum. You can do it. You can put the work in. You can make a regimen that keeps you healthy. Maybe that regimen has to evolve when it stops working. But there is hope. There is always hope. There's always something beautiful. You could be walking down the road and everything just feels like dark rain clouds around you. But maybe there's a piece of grass that's growing up in spring when everything else is mud. Or maybe it's watching the leaves grow in the trees or maybe it's watching them fall off and knowing that they're going to bloom again the next year just hang on and you will get through this thank you so much Tanya